Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural health care, with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural health care ecosystem. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This is Rural Health. My name is Scott Hertzberg, past president of the California State Rural Health Association, and I am thrilled to have you with us once again. First and foremost, I want to express my heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you for your continued support of our organization. The support makes this podcast possible, and we really couldn't do it without you. Now, let's dive into what's in store for you this season. We're kicking off with something special, a series of episodes featuring excerpts from our 2023 CSRHA Annual Conference. This conference was an incredible gathering of healthcare leaders, professionals, and partners from rural clinics and hospitals. It's where we could engage with candid discussions and celebrate our rural health community's resilience and thriving spirit. During this series, we'll bring you insights, valuable information, and inspiration straight from the conference floor. You'll hear from remarkable speakers like Peggy Wheeler from the California Hospital Association, Steve Stark from American Advanced Management, and many others who are at the forefront of rural health care. But we're not stopping there. We have so much more for you this season, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a thing. You can also join our newsletter on our website at csrha.org so that you stay up to date with everything we've got to share. And hey, we love hearing from you. You can connect with us on X at csrha1 to share your thoughts, questions, and feedback. Your voice matters, and it's a vital part of our mission to affect positive change in rural health care. So with that, let's get going on this journey through the CSRHA Annual Conference. Enjoy. Peggy Wheeler serves as Vice President of the Policy Team at the California Hospital Association. Her portfolio includes representation, small and rural hospitals, and other members of the sponsoring organizations who provide service to rural populations in the state of California and is acknowledged as the primary body for rural health care policy on behalf of its members. Today, Peggy will provide us with an overview of California's current and anticipated rural health policy topics. So, Please join me in welcoming Peggy Burgess. Good morning. Let me start by adding a little bit more to what you said about um, my tenure. First of all, I've been with the California Hospital Association. Uh, next month will be 18 years. So I've seen a lot happen in rural. A lot, unfortunately, stay the same. But prior to coming to the California Hospital Association, I worked for a few years in a very unique position at the state level. The California Endowment had funded a position at the Capitol called the Health Policy Analyst to the California Legislative Rural Caucus. I don't know if folks in the room know, but there is a small contingent of legislators. There's only 13 in the California Legislative Rural Caucus. The thought behind having a health policy analyst for the Rural Caucus at that time, and so now think about it, that's 20 years ago, was that if we could elevate the voice of rural within the assembly and the Senate, we could get the kind of policy changes that we needed for rural. It was a very challenging job. It probably still is a very challenging job, but when I left, they didn't replace that position. So 
the California Legislative Rural Caucus does get together um, as a body of representatives of rural, but I think that we still have not yet elevated the voice of rural. So hopefully we can debate that or talk about that today as I give you sort of an overview, a landscape of what's going on in rural. So California is a rural state. Anybody want to debate me on that? That seems to be one of the political misunderstandings in California, because when people think of California, unfortunately, what they think of is San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. But in fact, by land mass, California is a rural state because we represent 60% of the land. I'm going to introduce the Abraham just so that he cannot heckle me without me heckling him first. Uh, he and I work very closely together. T. Abraham is the regional vice president in the hospital council, which is sort of our sister organization um, at the California Hospital Association. He and I have traveled the state quite a bit. He and I have visited most, if not all, of the rural hospitals in Northern California, many of them together. One of the things that T and I talk about is just not only do rural providers in our communities serve our rural folks, but they're also caretakers of the land. They have a lot of responsibility when it comes to water and all the other vital resources in those rural communities because they work with USDA and others um, to make sure that the communities stay vital so that they can provide that health care. I don't think that's valued enough in the state of California, just what our rural providers do and how they work with our uh, vital resources. So that's one thing that we have to um, continue to raise our voice. How many Californians live in rural communities? 40 million uh, folks living in the state of California right now, one in five folks is living in the rural community. Um, I say that because that's the way, uh, and I'm always going to come back to politics. Um, that's the way politics works. That's why the voices of Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, and other suburban, semi-urban communities are so loud because we do our representation by the number of people that you represent. So it, it's something that I want to offer today that the California State Rural Health Association is poised to do in terms of bringing all rural providers together to elevate that voice and even create a strategic plan for healthcare in California. That, that's something that I think is unique to us. That's what the National Rural Health Association is poised to do at the federal level is to really elevate that voice, educate and advocate on behalf of the rural community. So I'm really glad that the California State Rural Health Association is back in, um, in force. The other thing that happens in rural communities is that when we tend to make policy about rural, we think of rural as homogenous, that the communities all look the same, they're represented by certain groups of people, and that, that can be farther from the truth. So when we, we consider making policy, 
not only in California, but nationwide, we have to take into account that they are not the same and that we cannot neglect the experiences of our communities of color in rural, that our uh, indigenous communities in rural, our non-white Latinx communities, the LGBTQ communities, and the disabled. We have to take it all into account as we are developing policy because they live and work and thrive in our world. The other thing that is persistent, it seems, in rural is um, poverty and unemployment. Most of our rural communities in California have not fully come back from the recession many years ago, and that poverty persists. It means that most of the residents in our community are older, sicker, and poor, and that means they're represented that they have to pay for their health care and using government care program. And we'll get to talk about that a little bit later. But there is in California structural of structural underfunding of the Medi-Cal program, which means that as a provider, you don't get paid for the cost of the care that you provide. So think about that over time. If your population is increasing in terms of the number of people that are coming to see you, your the inflationary cost pressures of what you need to buy in order to provide that care, those keep going up. But the cost, the reimbursement that you receive for providing that care has stayed stable. What's going to happen over time? It's not going to be able to keep that up. And so we look for all kinds of ways to supplement those Medi-Cal pay, uh, payments, but those are policy decisions. I'm always going to bring it back. Those are policy decisions that we have to help our elected leaders understand. One way to understand it, and Steve, I, I think you've probably done this, is to have them come out to your facility and really see what your challenges are. So who's taking care of of our rural community. Who's taking care of those residents? Obviously, all of the providers, and I can't, I haven't done a good job of meeting them all, but we've got about 16 small rural hospitals. A little story about small rural hospitals in the state of California that maybe only a few people know. The list, and there is an official list that is maintained by healthcare access and information. That list was created by a very complicated peer grouping methodology based on 1980. Do you think the state has grown and changed since 1980? But the politics of changing that list, because there are benefits to being on the small rural hospital list, may tell you a recent benefit of being on that list. Not only on that list um, as a small rural hospital, but um, if you're a high receive high government care. Um, how many people heard, have heard the uh, bill that just recently passed to raise the minimum wage to 25 for all healthcare work? But it did pass the legislature. On that, as a result of that, that small and rural hospital list was used to create a longer glide path to get to 25 for small and rural hospitals. 
So small rural hospitals, if the governor signs this bill, will start at $18 an hour and go up by a percentage each year until they get to, to $25 an hour, which is projected to be in 2032. So a long life. The issue there is that some of those hospitals on that list are not rural, but because nobody can get into the list, um, and update it, they remain on the list. So that, you can imagine, might cause a little friction. And the friction is that if you're one of those rural hospitals or considered rural, and the urban hospitals that are around you are immediately paying 24 or 25, then that sucking sound that you hear, that's all your people leaving to go work at a larger hospital. So that's a that's going to be a policy and implementation issue that we're going to have to deal with. So 58 small rural hospitals, list that's pretty old based on a peer grouping methodology that has changed since 1980. Um, maybe the California State Rural Health Association can help tackle that list. Um, there are 276 rural health clinics, most of them um, operated as outpatient departments of hospitals, so a good, strong number of rural health clinics. Um, if anybody here with the primary care, the CPTA, the California Primary Care Association, because I don't want to say the number if it's, if it's inaccurate, but by my calculations, there are 174 um, QHCs in the state. Any number of physicians' assistants that we use in our rural health clinics, nurse practitioners that we use in our clinics. Um, I have worked very closely with the California Association of Nurse Anesthetists to get them the ability to operate independently. Um, so we have a lot of nurse anesthetists in our rural communities that are vital um, healthcare providers, nurse midwives and um, primary care physicians and specialty care physicians. Another piece of legislation that has passed and is sitting on the governor's desk is one that specifically benefits our critical access hospital. We have 37 critical access hospitals in the state. Critical access is a designation at the federal level that means that you meet certain requirements um, they are more like each other than they are even like their rural, uh, the other rural hospitals. Um, but in the state of California, what is the law that prevents our hospitals from directly hiring physicians? It is very old. It was based on, on gold mining days. That ought to tell you how old it is. But the thought was there should be a separation between the corporation of a hospital and the physicians that provide care, because if they worked for the corporation, they might somehow not provide the care that the patient really needs. They would be um, operating in the corporation's interest. Well, that's really not true anymore. But California is one of the last two states that still has a ban on the corporate practice of medicine. So when you see your doctor 
in your hospital, they don't work for the hospital. They either work for a foundation of representative physicians or they're under contract with the hospital. Well, seven years ago, the California Hospital Association sponsored a bill, thank you, sponsored a bill to say, we ought to let the smallest, most vulnerable hospitals be able to directly hire physicians because we have a tough time recruiting them. We can't recruit primary care and specialty physicians into our community. And what they allowed us to do is to have a seven-year pilot. This is the seventh year of that pilot, and that would revert back to the corporate practice of medicine. But Assembly Member Jim Wood, who represents a large swath of rural in Northern California, sponsored a bill and said we should just sunset the pilot and they should have the ability to directly hire physicians. I am so proud to have worked on this bill and advocated for the passage of this bill. It went through seven policy committees, and now it sits on the governor's desk, and we've got our fingers crossed that sometime between now and October 14th, the 30th time, and critical access hospitals will be able to directly hire physicians. So here's a picture of all of the rural hospitals. What strikes you about this picture? Not many are on the coast, but, but, they are everywhere in the state, right? Up and down the state, not concentrated necessarily in just one particular area, but we have rural hospitals everywhere, which means that we have rural communities everywhere. As many of you are aware, we had a rural hospital closed this year. Um, I was asked to give a media interview about the abrupt closure of Madera Hospital. And what struck me about the request was there's no such thing as, as an abrupt closure. Closures take place over a number of years. And Brock, I know that you know this, but most folks um, are can understand that you do everything to try to keep your facility open. So you first cut back on services, and then you try to do more with less staff. Um, although in California, with the nurse staffing ratio, you have to have a certain number of nurses per, per patient. You reduce the number of beds that you're going to have active in your facility. So there are any number of steps. So I think it's wrong to think that Madera just suddenly closed. Madera struggled with that structural underfunding of Medi-Cal, um, Medicare, and tried everything else that it could do up until the time it just couldn't do it anymore. And we have a number of these rural hospitals that are either teetering near bankruptcy, have filed bankruptcy, and are trying to um, reimagine the way they're going to provide care. So, um, it's not something that happens all of a sudden. The challenges that our hospitals are facing right now are many, um, and that's true of all providers across the board. If you work in rural, you're challenged to recruit and retain workforce. We have a workforce shortage. The public health emergency only contributed to that, but but 
It existed before we went into lockdown for COVID. We didn't have enough nurses. We often didn't have enough med techs or bad techs. So after COVID, when people left and drove, we are really challenged to get. And now we're feeling them from each other in some way. Um, and we're challenged about that. And so another way for the California State Rural Health Association to educate on this is just what those shortages are, what that number needs to be, to really advocate that the governor's um, very generous budget allocation for workforce, $1.7 billion, needs to not be slowly taken away for other things now that we're in a deficit situation. That commitment needs to stay or else we're never going to be able to have enough trained folks coming out of colleges to work in our facilities. So our voice needs to be very strong about that. Thank you, Governor, for what you did, but don't behind the curtain start taking that money away. For the critical access hospitals, as I said, uh, 37 of them, uh, again, pretty representative up and down the state, including the one on Catalina Island. That critical access hospital is very active during the summer season as cruise ships leave out the Long Beach Harbor and come around Catalina Island. They're there to provide healthcare services for folks on the cruise ship, plus that, that um, strong uh, community uh, support and service workers that, that do that uh, tourism. These are all of the rural health care facilities together. So again, you can see how up and down the state between critical access hospitals, rural health clinics, federal qualified health centers. California is a rural state. We provide a lot of care and a lot of support to those facilities that are serving our rural residents. As I said, oh, I'm going to get that number wrong. California Legislative Rural Caucus, there are 12 members out of the um, 120 members in the state. Our role is to keep them informed that we need them to develop inclusive policy that recognizes the challenges of rural. We can't do it with just the 12 members. We've got to do it with more of the 120. But really having your um, representatives come out and see that the work that you're doing in your communities is vital not only healthcare, but to housing, schools, vital resources, it supports all of it. I am convinced that when rural hospitals close, and I've seen it unfortunately in my career, that when rural hospitals close, young people won't move into rural communities that don't provide healthcare. And so there's going to be a shift that we're going to see. And you know, many of our hospitals uh, that we work with at the California Hospital Association are dealing with long, long hours of easy wait times, long hours of ambulance offload delays. And I'm convinced that that has a lot to do with um, not being able to provide the kind of care in rural communities that folks go to suburban. So let's talk a little bit about equity, because I think this is a word that gets thrown around a lot. For some reason, it's in fashion now to talk about equity, but this is not new information. We need to recognize that 
we've got to provide care um, for all of our patients in a way that provides the kinds of outcomes that we all want to receive, not just one group of folks, but all folks. And so we're now focused on that. But what do we do about rural equity? What does rural equity look like? One is something I already talked about, and that is to recognize that we don't have just homogenous folks living in our rural communities. We've got all kinds of folks, and so we need to seek them out and make sure that we are providing services where they feel seen and heard um, and safe getting care in our facilities. But about, what about rural versus urban? What I mean by rural urban equity is I'm talking again about our policymakers. If you made a decision to do something for urban, there ought to be a counterbalancing decision for rural. If you're doing something to make affordable housing in suburban and urban areas, then you need to do something about affordable housing in rural. Okay, quickly, because I now get close to my time. But I want to talk about the creation of the Office of Healthcare Affordability. Funny name, um, because their charge is to make healthcare affordable. I feel like the creation of another government body to look at healthcare is not going to really help make healthcare affordable. It's going to just create another office with a lot of other people, but we need to work with it. That office is propagating regulations and rules now. You can go to their website and stay up to date on the kinds of things they're doing, offer your comments, raise your voice. If it doesn't feel like it might be equitable for rural, that's my concern. Don't allow decisions to be made that work in urban areas but don't take into account the challenges of rural. So we need to be paying attention. The other one is the managed care organization or otherwise known as CMCO tax. Don't know if you've heard, but $6 billion maybe um, passed in the governor's budget to help solve the gap between the cost of providing care and what Medi-Cal um, reimburses you for that care. Um, this MCO tax will go into effect next year, and it's supposed to be in uh, effect until the end of 2026, but there will be a ballot initiative next November to make it permanent. So, what does rural health care need? I suggest that we're already resilient. We're still here. Perseverance, we get an aid. But what else does it need? In my opinion, I wrote it as you, but it's really us. We've got to support each other, not compete with each other, but collaborate with each other, create an agenda for healthcare that works for us, and work together to elevate the voice of rural. Thank you. This is Rural Health, is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, 
email us at podcast at csrj.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association.